Keep on waiting. All right. Poker Tov, we're on Daf Yud Zayin Aleph, continuing for another day or so on the topic of excommunication. Now we're going to have an interesting story. The interesting story in the middle of the story brings up a side story. Then we go back to the side story and we just keep rolling in. And the idea, again, being this is someone that they want to excommunicate, but he's a scholar and they need his scholarship. And if he's excommunicated, there's going to be lack of learning Torah. So we see some interesting rules will come out of this story. There was a certain rabbinic student, whose reputation was hateful, meaning bad rumors were circulating. According to some, it was he was an adulterer or he was having meetings with unmarried women. Either way, it's not a good story, especially if it's about a rabbi, okay? Not verified, so to speak, but uh, that's what the rumors were going on. So now the question is, Omer Rabbi Yehuda, so Rabbi Yehuda said to his colleagues, Hey, Liavid, what do we do with this fellow? Neither, neither option is a, a favorable option. Lishamte, if we excommunicate him, the rabbis need him because he's a Torah teacher of all the rabbinical students and the rabbis of the community. Okay? Now, although even though it's permissible to learn Torah from an excommunicatee, it's unlikely that a Torah scholar would suffer the embarrassment of doing so. In other words, he, might, he wouldn't want to do it if they've excommunicated him. So, that's not a good idea. But on the other hand, if we don't excommunicate him, God's name will be desecrated, where we have a person who is sinning, teaching Torah, that's not a good thing, and covering this up will allow him to uh, continue, you know, all this bad behavior. So, now, what do you, what do you talk to do? So, what would you say, guys? What's your... Uh, you are the people in charge. They are not the Torah scholars, Torah scholars to teach. Well, it seemed it seemed there wasn't one. It's if, if there was another one, I think that would be an easy solution. That's right. Okay, so what do you do? You ask a bigger rabbi, of course. Amar le Rabbi Barachana. So then, Rabbi Yehuda then said to Rabbi Barachana, "Midi shemiyalach baha." Have you ever heard anything about this? Ever had this a precedent, so to speak? So he said, He said like this, This is what Rabbi Yochanan has said in explaining a Pasuk. What does the Pasuk mean when it says, For the lips of the Kohen should safeguard knowledge. Pasuk's not over. And people should seek Torah from his mouth. Okay, okay. Pusik's not over yet. Third clause. Kimala Hashem for he is like an angel of the God of hosts. Okay. So what what are we talking? We're talking about the lips of the coin are the ones that protect knowledge. We should seek knowledge from them. Why? Because he's an angel of God. So what what's all this saying? So he explains the Pasuk like this. In Doma Harav, Lamalach Hashem, if the 
rabbi is like an angel of God, meaning he has a sterling reputation. And as we've already said, you know, that a malach is um, a malach by definition. The word malach means being a messenger. So just like a, a malach, a real angel, he only does what God tells him to do. He does his shlichus. So if this rabbi is like a malach Hashem, meaning he does his shlichus, and that's in every aspect of his life, not just learning Torah, but in morality as well. People have a shlichus. You have to live a moral life. That's part of your shlichus. So if you're so if the rabbi is like a malach Hashem, yavak shel Torah mipiu, then you can seek Torah from his mouth. But if he doesn't act like a malach Hashem, al yavak Torah mipiu, you cannot seek Torah from his mouth. So therefore, Rabbi Yehuda understood from the way it was told to him, the teaching of Yochanan, this fellow is not like a malach Hashem, and we don't study Torah from him. So what do you see from this? It's not just a matter of how smart you are in the in the world of Torah, because you've got to be able to um, what's role model what you're teaching, and if you're not role modeling what you're teaching, then it's 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 not the real deal, and it's not sincere, and there's it's got to be as they say chinks in the armor. There's faults throughout everything, and the way he's understanding Torah isn't even the correct way of learning Torah. You can't say, well, what like university professors, what I espouse in philosophy is one thing, but my personal life has nothing to do with it. It's not possible. The two go hand in hand. Yeah. So, therefore, what do they do? Okay, now we got the verdict. Shamte Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda excommunicated him. Okay. It could be it was little, it could be it was more than rumors. Like you know what it's like. It's like uh, unfortunately, a, a few years ago, we had uh, two different stories of two different rabbis where there were rumors. You know, but you know, rumors is like okay, a, a woman. Uh, people say we saw. You know, but but it's hard to prove. You know, this proving in court. You need three witnesses. Huh? Two witnesses and to prove it. And he says, no, no. And, you know, once a person, uh, you can ask a person, but they can lie. You have to remember, I mean, let's, unfortunately, that it's not often, it's not like, you know, uh, nine out of ten rabbis does this. It's like, you know, it's less than, than, a, than a tenth of a percent. But there's a lot of rabbis. So let's say it's a small percentage. That could mean 10 rabbis in the world do that. Okay, so you imagine if you confront him, he's going to say, oh, yeah, that's yeah, I did it. Uh, it's, 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 it's a hard thing to admit. Okay, so uh, he could have maintained his innocence. I, there's people who are saying, you know, you, you, there are stories like this. So, so that... And, you know, obviously, they, if they confronted him, they said it's not true, they have to know, yeah, but so a lot of, lot of talk, a lot of talk, you know, it's not it's not like CNN where they just make up the stories. I mean, there are people who are, you can assume, but 
We can't say for sure, and he's denying it. We'll see. The story's not so finished, so to speak. But anyway, so they, they put him into excommunication, even though they needed him, right? So Rabbi Yochanan's verse nullifies that factor of needing him because the scholar's hateful reputation disqualifies him from serving as a Torah teacher. Okay, so, or, or maybe he even did it. Like it's, you know, it's it's not so clear. Let's go back to how it started. We said it was, where are we? Havasana Shamoy, right? It was bad rumors, all right? So, so it's, it's, you know, so how, how do you, it's only a rumor if the guy denies it, right? Right? It's only a rumor if the guy denies it. If he doesn't deny it, it's not a rumor. Right. You know? How long would they excommunicate him? So he dies? Well, let's see. Let's see. The story will tell you. Lesof. Okay, so that's first part. This is what you call Act 1, Scene 1. Now, what happens? Rabbi Huda was the one who put him in Cherem. Okay? So Lesof, as time passed... Ichlish Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda got ill. Now the other guy is not teaching Torah anymore. He was removed. So he gets removed. So of course, when a rabbi is sick, other rabbis come to visit him. See how he's doing. And guess who else showed up? The excommunicated scholar also came to them. Now of course, he had to keep his distance of four Amos, because he has to be four Amos away. So... You know, he feels, I'm, I'm a rabbi and I should visit him. You know, it's, it's, it's a mitzvah, Beaker Chol. And even if the guy's a sinner, he's not exempt from doing mitzvahs. Of course, he doesn't want him to come. He's not doing a mitzvah. Well, uh, it's, hard, it's hard to know if he doesn't. No, there isn't animosity here. When people put a, put a guy in Kherm, it wasn't like it's a personal thing. It's like, this is, this is halacha, but you're still a Jew. He's still a Jew, right? And he's still a Jew. But anyway... Rav Yehuda, when Rav Yehuda saw this fellow amongst the others visiting him, he laughed. So now this excommunicate Amrle says to Rav Yehuda, isn't it enough that you excommunicated this fellow, meaning me? You're also laughing at me, you're mocking me. So you can already see what kind of guy this is. <laughs> like, just keep your mouth shut. You're an excommunicated man. And, and and if he's laughing, don't ask any questions. You can already see this personality coming out over here. I'm really, so Rabbi Huda answered, laugh. No, I'm not laughing at you. I'm not laughing at you. Now, you see from here, parenthetically, you can communicate with an excommunicated person, as long as it's a distance of four amas away, because he answered him. Anyway, but that's not what I'm laughing at. I'm laughing at the situation itself. Rather, when I go to that world of souls after I, de- after I die, my mind will be cheered up by the fact that what? that I did not flatter even a person as great as you. In other words, there was probably a lot of pressure. This student rabbi must have been a very, you know, hush of a rabbi because he was a teacher. It wasn't Stama Joe. He was, 
Can you imagine Chas Vashalom? Think of any of the big gedolim in Eretz Yisrael uh, that they're saying that it, it's strong rumors that he was having uh, immoral behavior, right? And then you know, and they're saying rumors look to be true, right? And he denies it, but he denies it, right? Now to be the ram and say, you know what? There's rumors. We asked the Shaila, you're excommunicated. So that's a lot of pressure. Also say, what do you mean? The guy denies it. This I said, no, you have to go. This the Pasuk says not. And usually you give in to pressure. You cave in if you're a politician, you certainly do. As you'll see, this is what Biden is going to do soon. Uh, you know, when, when 100 staffers walk out and say we hate Jews, etc., etc., and whatever. But anyway, he's didn't. I didn't bend to the pressure. So now, when I saw you, that triggered to, in my mind. You know, I really stood firm for a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and therefore, when I'm going to be in Shemayim, I'm going to get good stuff. So I'm like, I'm not laughing at you. I'm just laughing or smiling. I'm very happy that I was able to withstand the test and excommunicate you. Okay. That's... He wasn't what? He wasn't personally laughing at him. Not at him. He's just yeah. like smiling and saying, ah, Baruch Hashem, I was able to... Uh, we don't know how long it was from when he excommunicated him till he gets sick. I don't know. Anyway, that's Act 2. Okay. Act 3. Noch nafshei de Yehuda. Then Rabbi Huda passed away. Now, oh, look, it says within three years of his imposing the ban. Three years. So the guy was under the ban for three years. Okay. How does an excommunicate get out of this excommunication? Well, up to, the, up to the people who granted it? To maybe he was people. maintaining his innocence. So all he had to do was just say, whatever. Up. Listen, we don't know all the details of the story. Gemara is only telling us the, the main points of the story. So you see, it can last for three years. The guy could have come clean. He could have said, listen, I admit it, and this and that, and I have resigned my post and whatever. But whatever it was. So anyway, so three years. So then what happened? So now the excommunicated scholar, Asalabay Midrasha, so the he comes to the study hall, and Omar Laho, and he said to the rabbis, now, surely, release me from my band. Because now the rabbi put me in the band. He's not here. So you guys should be able to release me. So Omar Laho, Rabbi, the rabbi said to him, listen, we don't have anybody here who is as great as Rabbi Yehuda is who put you in the band. Because remember, for one court to cancel another one's, it's got to be at least equal uh, to the other one in wisdom and number. So we're not great enough to take it out. Rabbi Yehuda was the one who could. And therefore, you have to go to a greater court. It's not over here. So you're going to have to go somewhere else. And where's that? El Zil Rabbi Go to Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. He's the big man. Now, he, he was a Nasi, now, not Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, oh. the son of Rabbi Gamliel and the grandson of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Okay, so therefore Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yehuda Nasi'ah were contemporaries. So it's, it's a grandson of Rabbi Nasi. Either way, a big man. He's the Nasi. So go to the Nasi. Okay. So now he comes before Rabbi Yehuda Nasi'ah and he makes this request. <laughs> no. 
So therefore, Rehuda Nesia, he's a big, he's a busy man. He doesn't have time to get into his details. So he tells Rav Ami, contemporary of his, whoop, uh, lost that there. Poke Ayimdita, go out and look into the case. Let's review all the prices. Perhaps you can find one that constitutes the grounds for leniency for this man. I'm, I'm, a, I'm the Nasi. I'm very busy. So he assigns the case to another judge. Now, if it's required to release him or not, find look look it up. Maybe it's a way to get him out. And if it is, Sharile, then release him. So Ayn Ravami Bedina, Ravami looking into the case, and based on what he found, he was thinking, leaning to release it. But as he's discussing it with other rabbis, so another rabbi says nothing doing. He rises in his feet in the study hall as they're discussing. Say, well, it could look like we have a reason to let him go. Gets up this rabbi and say, and this is what's going to be the segue to the next Gemara from this line now. He says, wait a minute. Let's look at, as they say, look at precedent. Judicial law looks at precedent. So let's look at some precedents over here. And let's look at a previous case where someone's excommunicated. And let's see who's doing the excommunicating. And let's see what happens. So this is the precedent which would seem to say you should not take him out of the excommunication. Why? If we know the case of the maidservant of Rebbe's household. Okay, what's going on over here? At the time of this story, Roshul was very old. So he knew Rabbi Yehuda Nesia's grandfather who was Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. So I remember way back, and it was, who was involved here? The maidservant, and she put somebody in excommunication. The maidservant, the Rehudanos. The sages did not treat her excommunication lightly for three years. The story is coming up, future attractions. That's when we're finished with this story, then we're going to say, oh, what was that story with the maidservant? Okay? But anyway, they didn't release the maidservant until three years. And that was the maidservant of Rehudanasi. Now, Yehuda Chavarenu, Rabbi Yehuda Archaver, who was probably more important than a maidservant, even if she was Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's maidservant, Allah has come of a comma, all the more so. His excommunication should not be tri- treated lightly. So, no. So, Amar Abzera, therefore, Abzera told the scholars, My to come on, what do we explain? How do we explain what happened before us? That just today, in other words, he was discussing, he wanted to release him, and Punktus fellow, Reb Shmuel Bar Nachmani, comes in, who normally is not in the base medrash. He's an old man. Probably hard for him to get to the base medrash. As we're discussing it, and I was about to release him, all of a sudden the old rabbi, who normally doesn't come, and he's coming today, just today, he came to the study hall. For several years he hadn't come. It's like one of these Bashert stories. And if we want to release him, and, he, and he's a big rabbi, he's an old rabbi, and he decides to gird his loins and come, and he didn't know what was going to be happening. So obviously it's a sign from Shemayim 
It must be we should not release him. In other words, it's providentially transpired that Rishmuel should come unexpectedly. So it's therefore it must be it's not the 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 the, the banned fellow's mazel to be released. And it's like Hashem is against it. Like you, you do have to look now again. You have to. This is a very dangerous way to live. You got to be a big rabbi to do this. Because a lot of people say, oh, look, you see, it's Bashert. You see, Hashem wanted this or that. You know, you can do all kinds of averas thinking things are Bashert. You know, oh, you know, I was, face. I was thinking of, I really don't have enough money. How can I get money? Oh, look, there's an old client that I outsmarted years ago. And I built him for a half a million dollars. He never even was the wiser for it. And now he's coming. Oh, it's a sin from Shemaim. I should cheat him again. No, you don't. You don't play that kind of game. So he, he said, "This a tzaddik here," and say, "Listen, if I wanted to release him, and under normal circumstances, and all of a sudden, look out of nowhere comes this rabbi. He didn't even know what I was talking about anything. And he says, "Not. It's a sign from a Shemaim not to do it. And therefore, lo sharalei, Rehuda Nasiel was swayed and compelled by the argument, did not release him." Because there was judicial precedent. How many years was not released? Three years. We said it was three years, right? But three years they went to ask the big rabbi. Afterwards they said, still you cannot release it. That's right. After three years, not to release. Because even the maidservant was three years. That was a maidservant. Okay, that's now. So what? how does the story end? You know, God's always watching over things. So now the students like, model luck. Nafak, so now rejected and dejected, the Torah scholar leaves the study hall. Kikabachi va'oza, while he was walking along and he was crying. Osa zibura vitarke a bee came along and bit him on his male organ. That's what you call measure for measure. He was suspected. So Hashem saying, you know what? Maybe fake news, fake news, but. You know, he's got God in the picture. And Vishachiv, he died. That must have been, well, maybe he had an allergic reaction. Okay. Well, they had like togas. You know, so come from, come from the. Scottish you know, I've had people, you know, even, even when my son Moishi was a very little boy, three, four years old. When he was in the park, my wife took him to the park. And he, said, he says, Ima, my, my shirt is making noise. Your shirt's making noise. And somehow the bee, a bee got into his, I think, sleeve, I don't know, somewhere, and it stung him. So it, they can get into the clothes. So he got into the clothes and it stung him. Okay, end of part three to the story. Now we go to part four. What's left to do? Got to bury the guy. So now, So they had different burial grounds. One of the burial grounds was the burial grounds for the pious, which is interesting. Why they even think of putting there? He was a like. What do you mean? How could he be pious? But they wanted to put him in for. Go ask questions on that. But guess what? They didn't accept it. What does it mean, they? A snake went around the mouth of the cave. Remember, those were catacombs. So the snake was there, a poison snake. says, you're not getting in here for this guy. So they're not going there. Okay. 
Then they went to the burial caves of the judges, meaning the heads of the courts who are less stature than the pious. I guess everything is, uh, you know, relative. And Vikiblayu, no snakes, and he was able to be buried there. Now the question is, my time What's the reason the scholar's corpse was accepted in the cave of the judges, right? The answer is to Ovid Karabi Loi, because he acted in accordance with a ruling of Rabbi Loi, which means, as we'll see in one second, the scholar dealt with his illicit passions in the manner prescribed by Rabbi Loi, so he merited to be buried in the cave of the judges. That's one explanation. The, uh, the other way of explaining is, what's the reason the scholar's corpse was not accepted in the cave of the pious? Asking, asked why. You can go on each side of the story. In other words, he was coerced by sinning by his evil inclination. So it's because he transgressed the ruling of Rabbah. So it's a machlokas, we showed him what's going on. I mean, either it's, they asked him, why did he get to go into the lesser cave? Because he acted like Rabbi Loy? Or why did he not get in? Because he did not act like Rabbi Loy. I know, it's a machlokas. Anyway, Titania, for we learn of the price of the following, an interesting uh, point. Rabbi Loy Omer, Rabbi Loy said the following statement. Let's say a person sees his evil inclination is overwhelming him. And he's tried everything. Remember, the, the Gemara says, if your Yetzirah tries to overcome you, you try to, you know, push it away. And if not, you uh, you, you say Shema. Uh, if not, you uh, think of the day, you say Shema. If that doesn't work, think of the day of death. Rabbi Loy is saying, okay, after you did all that, and you still want to do the Avira. So now what do you do? So he says like this. Now again, this is not initially, this is not L'Chachila. He's saying you shouldn't do bad Averos. And if you're tempted to do the Gemara already has given us a prescription what you should do. It gives us three aces. But they're not working. Your Yetzirah is going nuts on you. And you're going to do it. So he says, if you're going to do it already, Yelech L'Mokam Sheh Makrin is a go to a place where nobody recognizes you. V'yil B'Shcharm and wear black clothes of mourning and wrap yourself up with black uh, scarf. And do what your heart wants to do. Do not publicly desecrate God's name. In other words, he's not condoning it. He's saying, if you're already going to do it, which is going to be a massive Hashem, if you're going, you know, to uh, a brothel that's in the neighborhood, and everyone's going to see you're going in there. That's a chalashem. So go to Oakville, you know, and put on dark clothes and this and that, and then do what you want. Now, there's two understandings of this. Number one, number one, you're not recognized in a foreign place. You're wearing dark clothes, which is very not, what do you call it, out in the open like that. So it won't cause a desecration of Hashem's name. In other words, if you're going to do it already, I'm not the lesser of both evils is do it when nobody at least know what you're doing. At least it's not it's an avera, but it's not a chilashem tacked on top of that. That's one interpretation. So now Rashi, however, cites uh, according to that, uh, and following the text of Gomorrah's answer, the scholar's body went into the cave of judges because he avoided desecrating. That's since he didn't make it a public desecration, he got to go in the lower cave. Rashi gives another interpretation. 
never meant to prescribe a formula for sinning, rather being in a place where one is unknown and thus not respected and wearing humble attire will undoubtedly deflate one's passions and prevent him from sinning. According to this, the scholar's body was admitted to the because of the fact he abstained from sinning. In other words, he was involved and was doing, was almost doing bad stuff. So maybe the rumor at the end of the day was not true, but boy, he did plenty to get close to that rumor. Okay, either way, that is the end of the story. However, there's still one more part to the story, and what's that? By the way, what's the story with the maidservant? Shivcha shall base Rebbe. So now let's go back to the story with the maidservant of Rebbe Huda Nasi Mahi. What was the story? The Amsad of a Rebbe Chazis because the maidservant of Rebbe saw a fellow, who was hitting his older kid. He had an older kid, and the father disciplining him, and he's like hitting him. Okay? Now, Godel means oldest or adult. But here it means he's mature enough to resist his father's blows, either by hitting him back or by cursing him. So he saw the guy do this. Amre, she says to this adult man, This man is under a ban. I put him under a ban. Why? Because he's transgressing a sin. And what's that? Do not put a stumbling block in front of the blind. What does that mean? The Tanya's we learn in a Brisa, these maidservants knew a lot. Do not put a stumbling block before a blind person, such as when you talk about hitting your older son, because that's putting a stumbling block. Because now he'll hit you back. If he hits you back, he can be Chayim Misa. You're not allowed to hit a father, you're not allowed to curse the father. It's a terrible Avera. But the father's beating him up. So this is what you see, a big source that for child abuse is not a good idea. If if you're going to discipline a little kid, okay, let's let's hope you're doing it properly, this and that. He's going to learn. At least he won't do an Avera back to you. But if you're doing it to an adult son, he'll, he'll give it back to you. So therefore, so you see, that's the story where she put him in excommunication and it lasted for three years. So certainly we're not going to take on, on, on do Rabbi Huda's for that as well. Okay, we're going to have more exciting stories tomorrow. All righty. Have a great day. Okay, Steve, be well.